Welcome to Bespin Ice Cream Stand, the podcast that explores the past, present, and future of Star Wars. My name is Josh O'Rourke, and with me as always, what do you think? You're some kind of Jedi waving your hand around like that? Bennett Campbell Ferguson. <laughs> you know, that's so appropriate because, you know, all the times I've uh, waved my hand around, like at the grocery store, pr- pretending to open the automatic doors with the Force, I... I feel uh, I, I feel a kinship with that reference. For me, I, I always felt I could just do it with my mind, so I didn't need to use the hands, as long as I just really, really concentrated. You're like a Yoda-level Jedi Master. You know, you've just uh, advanced so far that you can you can move mountains with the, the slightest lifting of a claw. <laughs> By mountains, you mean automatic doors? Then yes, yes. yes. <laughs> well, happy May the Fourth. Um, yes. I thought we'd start uh, this episode before we get into our main topic, which is lightsabers, by asking, uh, when was the first May the 4th that you remember? You know, that's a good question. In my mind, it's new. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't remember when, when May the 4th became a thing, because I, I sort of think of it as like a, a newfangled thing that really solidified and, and became an official thing once a Disney bought star wars and like i I love the may may the fourth and i'm I'm glad we have a star wars day and this but this is my really grumpy nitpick i've always thought that star wars day should be uh may 25th since that's the day the first star wars came out like i feel like that makes more sense than you know like a a goofy pun which is which is a, a fun pun nonetheless but i don't know that that's just my you know cranky old man take on that no i agree i think it's meant to sell disney owned merchandise completely uh so i'm kind of salty on it too for the same reason which is not everything needs to be a dumb pun now suddenly there's mario day on march the 10th oh god i think anyone's like looking at all the dates like how can we take advantage of a day and make it our day but you know it's fun and uh it guarantees I have a birthday a couple days later. I have Cinco de Mayo, and then I have May the 4th. So it feels like it's like a fun week or so of, you know, events. Well, it's the, the, the my grandmother's birthday is the day before. So <laughs> an eventful oh, time, ho, ho. to be sure. But she, she doesn't uh, like Star Wars. Actually, I don't think she's ever seen Star Wars. So, you know, there's not really a connection there. Well, uh, let's get into it. Uh, for May the 4th, we thought we'd start this year, and hopefully every year, with a little... Star Wars bracket kind of thing, and uh, we thought, what better way to start it off than the best lightsaber duel of each trilogy? Trilogy, trilogy. <laughs> really wish we would have recorded a theme song now for this. The way we set it up is we didn't talk in advance about this, but we wanted to talk about the best lightsaber duel from each of the three trilogies. Then the best non-trilogy lightsaber sequence, and then we wanted to talk about the worst lightsaber battles uh, in the Skywalker saga, and then finally, just for funsies, uh, the best action scene in the Star Wars trilogies without lightsabers. So let's get started with the best lightsaber duel of each trilogy. Uh, do you want to go first for the pre? Sure, I'll go first. I think this is probably not going to surprise anyone, but my favorite lightsaber duel from the prequels is uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon 
versus Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace, I think the reason that duel holds up so well is unlike the other prequel duels that got out of control and, you know, just kind of drowned the screen and CGI lava, that Phantom Menace duel, it, it's it's very restrained. It's just a couple of dudes on catwalks, you know, fighting through a corridor and then fighting around a bottomless pit. You know, it's really well choreographed by Nick Gillard. It's a lot of fun to watch. And it started uh, one of my favorite trends in in Star Wars, which is uh, at the beginning of a duel, the Jedi have to take off their robe and throw it on the ground, and we never see them pick it up when the duel's over. So I like to think we've got Jedi just leaving robes all over the galaxy. I, I counted, <laughs> and, and I think Obi-Wan in Revenge of the Sith goes through like four or five different Jedi robes. See, I always saw it as like a, a guitarist at a concert flicking his pick into the audience. <laughs> I like that. And also, I mean, another cool thing I think is just, you know, I I think we all like it when these lightsaber duels are a bit more restrained and they they don't don't just like throw CGI crap at the screen. And just that you could have a moment of just beautiful stillness, like Qui-Gon kneeling and and meditating while, while Darth Maul paces back and forth. That was just so extraordinary. And, and also, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it, kind of a nice connection to the dark empire comics which were to my knowledge the first place that ever talked about jedi battle meditation so i just i have a real soft spot for for that bit well i'd like to pick up from there because yeah i i also chose the duel of the fates for lack of a better term for the battle um and yeah qui-gon kneeling i thought was a really cool character moment too where it showed sort of good versus evil and how it reacts in that kind of moment or Sith versus Jedi, you know, light versus dark. Uh, I thought it was really cool that, of course, the dark side is going to be pacing back and forth furious, whereas a Jedi is going to meditate and be at one with the Force. So I thought that was a really, really cool moment. And it also, it was a really nice, like, halfway marker in a way. I thought that was really cool that they physically couldn't fight each other, got to catch your breath for a moment, and then the next part of the scene, you know, happens. Um, yeah. Also, there's yeah. a real rhythm to that duel. I mean, it it kind of starts out so big, with uh, you know the battle through the the Thieg generator and Obi Wan falling. It has this epic scope, and we're getting the full and then just the way like it kind of like keeps being funneled down and gets smaller and smaller and more intimate until it's just you know a, a sheer battle of wills between. Obi-Wan and and Darth Maul I I just really like how it's not just that duel has a great um piece of on the on the soundtrack I mean the duel is almost like a piece of music in itself with you know its own crescendos and uh day crescendos and you know like emphasized notes it's just it's just really cool it's really beautifully done I read that stunt coordinator Nick Gillard uh, practically directed this whole sequence. Really? I I couldn't corroborate it too much, but having said that, um, I think it was a really cool move if they did give him uh, more free reign for the sequence. Because I think that, like you said, it's not about CGI. It's about a fight that has a story to it. And my favorite part about it all, though, is the geography of it. Um, not, Not just where it's at, but also... 
when you watch action scenes nowadays, because of the cutting, sometimes you don't really know where anybody is at, you know, geographically speaking. Whereas this movie, it keeps some, it has some really nice medium shots, even long shots at times, where you can see, oh, this is where they're at exactly, and this is where they're at in the fight. Yeah, it's so true, and I, I think you're absolutely right to point that out. And one of the things I appreciate about George Lucas is that he's very much a classicist in terms of the way he directs action, or, or Nick Gillard is, I should say, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you look at, you know, even directors who used to be good at that sort of thing, some of them have really kind of uh, fallen down. I mean, I mean, to watch the Matrix trilogy is to really, you know, see the the de-evolution of the Wachowskis' skills as action directors. You know, you go back to the first film and they were so disciplined and it was all so coherent and well thought out. And then you get to Revolutions and it's just a big mess. I, I think, you know, George Lucas, for, for all his faults, he always at least had a sense of discipline in, in terms of spatial coherence. And, and even though I, I think the, the duel in Revenge of the Sith on Mustafar is a bit too much. I always know in that duel where Anakin and Obi-Wan are in relationship to each other and where they are in relation to the environment. And I, I think that that's kind of why I, I still think of George Lucas as one of the great action directors, uh, probably in cinematic history, honestly. Oh, that's a Pandora's box you're opening up because I don't want to disagree <laughs> with you. I'll say I will begrudgingly agree with that right now <laughs> until I think about it further. <laughs> well, but, I think I even said it begrudgingly because I don't, I don't like to say too many nice things about the prequels. So. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> I know. Uh, you, you mentioned it, but yeah, having duel of the fates uh, be such a banger of a song really helps too. I mean, I think yep. that's like what top three or four best star Wars songs to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a lot in this episode, but my, my general rule is that I prefer lightsaber duels not to have music unless the music is as good as Duel of the Fates. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that, that has to be an exception. Well, this is a great uh, segue to my original trilogy, Best Lightsaber Duel. I chose, and I suspect you did too, the Luke versus Vader in Cloud City from Empire Strikes Back battle. I, I had a feeling you were going to choose that. I mean, I because I obviously I chose that as well, and I was yes. like, yeah, I, I just I just know Josh is going to go that direction too. I, I wanted to, and this whole thing kind of go a different way, but I just I couldn't. That scene to me is Star Wars on a poster. It's Luke versus Vader, silhouetted, surrounded by smoke or cloud smoke i don't know uh battling each other in the darkness like that is star wars exactly um but the reason i'm bringing it up now besides the fact that it's the natural progression is you had mentioned uh the music has to be as good if not better than duel of the fates and i thought it was really really smart that the battle started almost silently and how you can only just hear the hums of the lightsabers going and you, you talked about an empire episode a little bit but sort of how it's almost like a horror movie in a way. And you're kind of like, wait, where's Vader? What's going on? And it's like it adds an extra element of menace to it that a lot of the other battles don't have. I think that's really true because all the other battles are basically just, you know, a couple people going mono and mono. And there's something really scary about Vader 
hunting Luke. And, and the idea that whenever Vader disappears, we never quite see where he goes. He just seems to like vanish and reappear almost by by magic. And there's there's something really scary about that moment when Vader's coming down the hallway and we hear the, the breathing before we even see him. And, mm -hmm. and that's just absolutely uh, terrifying. And, and yet again, kind of like Duel of the Fates, stillness is so important in this duel. I mean, I, I think you were alluding to it before, Josh, that moment at the start of the duel where it's just the two of them, uh, Mark Hamill and David Prowse, standing in the carbon freezing chamber, you know, just their silhouettes in the smoke, and they just stand, like, looking at each other, frozen for a moment, just almost locked in some kind of mental battle of wits. And just to start the, the duel with this, this kind of eerily quiet moment of, of this dangerous bond between these two characters, it's, it's so, so striking. I mean, that, I don't know, that might be my favorite shot in Star Wars, just those two guys, you know, uh, standing facing each other in the midst of the smoke, you know, preparing to do battle, but but not having not having unsheathed their swords quite yet, like just having this this pause that lets the tension percolate. Yeah, 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 and and in a way, it's sort of like it's super smart to do it that way. I think so much is riding on the battle. The whole movie is about Luke Skywalker training and then uh, le leaving his training early so that he can kill Darth Vader. And and likewise, knowing what we know after you know from Return of the Jedi, or rather, knowing what we know from having seen Empire Strikes Back before, and and what Darth Vader is thinking the whole movie, it's really fascinating because because I think like, what what is Darth Vader thinking in this moment? Like, does he think Luke Skywalker is here to fight me? God, I mean that's such a great question. I, I mean, it reframes the entire movie, really, when you think about it from that perspective. When, when, when you, I mean, well, heck, it even reframes a, a new hope when you realize that when he says the force is strong with this one, he's sensing his son. And, and that's why he's so single-minded throughout Empire trying to find Luke. I mean, that, that explains, like, why he would go to such lengths to capture this one guy, why he would bother uh, to lay this almost bizarrely elaborate trap for Han and Leia in Cloud City. You understand why he would go to those lengths. And just as you understand why, you know, he would kind of, uh, like, like toy with Luke. Like, at the end of the duel, you know, he really starts hammering on him and, of course, cuts off his hand. But but at the first, you know, he's, it's almost like he's he's playing with him. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a father... Uh, testing his son's abilities and seeing what he's uh, made of. And it reminds me of a, of a great article by a, a guy named uh, William C. Martell, where he, 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 he wrote about, you know, just the art of action and, and specifically the art of writing action. And he said uh, something that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people said and thought, but this is the first time I ever heard it. He said, action is character. And I feel like Empire proves that so well. I mean, you, you talk about the whole thing is about Luke leaving his training early. It kind of goes back to when Yoda says that the dark side's quicker, easier, more seductive. So we have to see Luke rush into this battle that he's he's not prepared for. And and so it's very, you know, powerful to, to see him, you know, be so humbled 
and so overwhelmed and, you know, not through any sort of uh, lesson he's told, but purely through experience, he knows at the end of battle, you know, Yoda was right. I was not ready for this. Yeah, I mean, to add to that, and the only thing to add is, is you say Vader's sort of toying with Luke in a way. And yeah, he's only fighting one-handed in a lot of the battle. But I like the moment when Vader sort of realizes Luke is stronger than he thought. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can pinpoint an exact moment, but it seems like at some point Vader realizes that that Luke, although green, is is phenomenal with the Force. Yeah. Well, I mean, a, a favorite moment of mine is when he he throws Luke into the carbon freezing chamber, and is like, "Perhaps you're not as strong as the Emperor thought." And then he sees that Luke has leaped out, and there's that great uh, line. <laughs> impressive most impressive <laughs> yeah, very restrained no, he wasn't like oh shit yeah yeah <laughs> Darth Vader he's a he's a he's a gentleman of a of a barbaric sort really <laughs> well I I don't think we can go on in the original trilogy without at least mentioning my runner-up which is the Return of the Jedi throne room fight sequence. Oh, God, yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't want to get in it too deep, especially because we just talked about it last week, but uh, it's a very, very close second to me. Uh, and when I think of Star Wars trilogy, when I think of the Star Wars trilogy, that's sort of one of the things I think about. The Emperor on his throne cackling while him, you know, why, why, while Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader are battling, you know, for for the soul of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, I, I'm really glad you brought it up, Josh, because, well, I think that the the scene in Empire is a, is a better fight. I think the duel in Return of the Jedi is is arguably more momentous, more emotional. And and you were talking about with Duel of the Fates, these, these wide shots that give us, a, you know, a sense of the scope and, you know, bring a lot of clarity to the conflict. Return of the Jedi also does that incredibly well. I mean, that, that moment when, you know, Vader says, you know, if you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. And then Luke just starts railing on him. Like so much of Luke, you know, like really coming after Vader is in that one big, beautiful wide shot. And the fact that the camera pulls back at that that moment just makes it feel like so epic and really conveys like how massive uh, Luke's rages and, and how it's important to have the in real intensity of that moment to, so that he has a, you know, a, a real come down where he realizes, my God, I, I nearly became my father. And that I don't, God, you know, even just like, you know, thinking about the music in that scene, ooh, 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 it's like, Oh, Goosebumps all the way. <laughs> I want you to know that your internet froze and your mouth was stuck wide open uh, as I heard. And it was like kind of <laughs> Matrix glitching. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just just like yearbook photos of uh, of me and choir, I'm, I'm guessing. Although probably probably much less flattering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, to add to that, I, I think that having a nice wide shot like that in a scene that emotionally resonant and, and violent um, highlights the violence. I think it makes it more realistic and more real. 
I think it's no longer like um, there's no longer a sheen on it. You're seeing this guy really taking out everything and potentially about to become what he hates the most. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the great thing about that whole sequence is just that uh, Luke walks into the throne room so cocky and, and so completely convinced that he has the strength to resist the dark side and the Emperor <clears throat> keeps breaking him down. You know, first when he goads him into grabbing his lightsaber and, and then, you know, Vader takes him down even further by, by baiting him with that remark about Leia. And there's, I don't know, it's just such a powerful way of of making Luke face the worst of himself. And he, he kind of has to descend that far in order to re reject his uh, darker side and, and really come full circle and show uh, himself and show the audience that, He's he's stronger than that, and it's, it's it's powerful stuff. I mean, action is character, and you know there's there's so much character in that scene. Well, let's move on to the sequel trilogy. What scene did you pick for your favorite? So this was really really tough, actually. Maybe the toughest choice of this whole thing. Me too. But I I, I mean, I'll, let me back up. My first instinct was, of course, the duel with the Praetorian Guards and The Last Jedi, because that was such an audacious fight, and we'd never really seen anything like that in Star Wars. You know, just uh, two Force users you know, teaming up against an army. And I, I do love it, and I think it's really inventive and really beautifully uh, shot and directed and edited, but in the end, I had to go for the duel on the second Death Star in the rise of, of Skywalker, because I just thought that was just a, such a cool use of a setting, you know, having Ray and Kylo like, like fight on these ruins floating in the ocean and the, the waves kind of surging around them as, as they clash. I think it's the choreography is a really, really great. I like how you, you see the desperation of, uh, of both characters. I like how, you know, it's a rare time when you see kind of a, Ray angry and unbalanced and Kylo having the the upper hand and yet it comes down to a moment where uh they're they're both you know very uh, vulnerable you know Ray because she's been through this ordeal Kylo because uh you know he's uh through the force felt Leia die and just I don't know I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for that moment I did want to take your hand Ben's hand you know <laughs> gets to me every time so that's yeah i i have to i have to give the the nod to the rise of skywalker there that's so funny i didn't know how this was going to go today but that was my uh pick as well but oh my uh, god again uh, honorable mention to the praetorian guard scene in last jedi i think the lighting in that scene is really cool i think the ass kicking is awesome i think it's just really well shot it's just a cool scene but yeah i gotta go with that second death star no, I, I love I love that scene to death, absolutely. And for me, I think the reason it works is because it, give or take, happens in the middle of the movie. And for a moment, you think that Rey has killed Kylo Ren. And what a crazy twist. One, that she doesn't. But two, that it no longer makes the bad guy versus the good guy the focal point of the movie. I think from that moment on, everything changes, you know, so to speak. Oh, I, I think it does. And I think there's something kind of important, I, I think, about the idea that, that Ray is 
is not immune to Kylo's influence because I mean, I mean these stories aren't interesting if if you're if you're the hero isn't tempted by the dark side somewhat you know whether they like fall to it like Anakin or whether they completely resist like Luke and I think often it, it sort of felt like like Ray was 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 invulnerable mm-hmm. and and to have her you know admit that she had been been tempted by his offer during that Praetorian Guard duel, which she finally comes out and basically says at the end of the second Death Star duel, is I, I think uh, I, I think you know really important. And, and the idea that you know she says she, she she you know she was you know drawn to him, but but I like that she makes the distinction between uh, Ben and Kylo Ren, and and the idea mm-hmm. that no matter how tempted she is. She still is, you know, a character of extraordinary conviction. She's never gonna, you know, team up with with Kylo Ren, but she would team up with Ben Solo, which, of course, you know, sets us up for, you know, all that that Palpatine cave uh, action in the end there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I can't believe this uh, turned out the way it had did. I, I thought we'd uh, differ on something at least. So I think we should go to the worst lightsaber battles now, and I feel like we might also say the same thing. We well, I, I know what you're gonna say, and I and I was uh, actually really considering choosing the same uh, one that you picked, but I ended up going a, a different way. So huh, we get to shake things up here. Okay, so I'm going with I'm going with the obvious choice then with the Yoda versus Dooku battle, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I remember when that scene happened too, and at first you're like oh shit, Yoda has a lightsaber and he's pulling it out and he's about to fight. And then it just proceeds into this awful, absurd CGI fest for three or four minutes. And I remember the theater kind of laughing when it happened. Like, what is happening? <laughs> and and at first, like, in my in my kid mind, I, I sort of thought, like, they're, so, they're laughing with joy. And then the second time I saw it, I was like, no, this is the worst lightsaber battle in the entire Star Wars saga. <laughs> You know, I, I agree. It is pretty terrible, and I, I think when I was young and frankly stupid, I, I thought it was pretty cool. And with the benefit of hindsight, I realized that this was not a duel between uh, Dooku and Yoda. This was a duel between Christopher uh, Lee's stunt double and an amorphous ball that was supposed to be Yoda that was just bouncing randomly all <laughs> over the room and. It just doesn't cut it. I, I'm honestly, I'm not even sure that Yoda should duel or have a a lightsaber. I mean, I kind of like the implication of the Empire Strikes Back, which was that he's so powerful and so wise, he doesn't need a weapon. You know, uh, he's yeah, like attained like Nirvana or something. I think it's the worst kind of fan service, and I I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. My worst duel is, and, and this was tough. I mean, I, I seriously, seriously considered. Uh, the Yoda duel, but I decided to go with another duel from the same sequence, uh, Obi-Wan versus Dooku. Mm-hmm. And the reason I picked that is I got to thinking, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is supposed to be one of the most powerful Jedi in the history of the whole order. He, uh, he defeated Darth Maul, who was just an extraordinarily gifted warrior and force user. And yet, when confronted with an old man, he uh, he looks like a total punk. 
I mean, Dooku, you know, basically just toys with him. Surely can, you can do better than that. And then <laughs> w- within, like, what seems like minutes, he sliced Obi-Wan's leg open. And the, the only reason Obi-Wan is saved is because Anakin is able to, like, leap across the room in time. And it, it just... I, I feel like it's kind of a, a wimpy fight. It, it doesn't do Obi-Wan much credit. I, I think uh, knowing the history of the character, you know, knowing what a powerful Jedi is, I, I think he should have fared a little better against uh, Dooku. But, the, but then also, I mean, part of the problem is like, that's just that the whole sequence is not very interesting in general. It's not in an interesting location with a lot of interesting obstacles. It's just kind of like a, a boring room with brown walls and it's i don't know the whole thing is it's kind of a it's kind of a, a down note to, to end clones i think yeah i kind of forgot about that scene it is pretty poor you're right i um i had considered and i'll give honorable mention to the palpatine versus the jedi scene in revenge of the sith too kind of for the same reason which is like this old guy is he really able to defeat this entire jedi army Yeah, (laughs) to me, it's just kind of a weak scene in general. It's like all these badass Jedi show up and then, oh, wait, he's really dark. Yes. And by he, I mean Palpatine. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to shit on it more than the Yoda scene, though. So, uh, you know, honorable mention goes to that uh, Palpatine versus the Jedi scene as well. Well. And, and making all the Jedi look like. Well, I'll I'll shit on that scene a little bit while we're on the the subject. I mean. Shit on, so I'm particularly troubled by the very unceremonious death of of Kit Fisto. I'm by no means I'm by no means a Kit Fisto expert, but look, the the Battle of Geonosis was a, a pretty hardcore battle. A, a, there were so many battle droids that uh, a, a number of Jedi didn't make it, and Kit Fisto survived that battle. But in two seconds, he gets uh you know cut down by this old dude has who up to this point has basically sent the entire spent the entire trilogy either sitting in a chair or uh, you know talking to people via hologram i mean i, I know that palpatine <laughs> is you know just an incredibly dangerous dark side user but I, I i i don't see him you know being able to dispatch you know that many you know powerful jedi just you know in the blink of an eye it's it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, well, especially uh, to me, it's almost like the Boba Fett death. It's like you see Boba Fett and then Boba in Return of the Jedi, and he dies. And and I feel like Kid Fisto and also Mace Windu both sort of just die because it's sad, and all the Jedi have to die. And we we talked about it in the Attack of the Clones episode about how it's kind of silly that all the Jedi instantly died, basically. Yeah, <laughs> like throughout the whole galaxy. Yeah, so that just sort of reminds me of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's garbage. Well, um, do you have a best non-trilogy lightsaber sequence? Yeah, I do, and I mean, I, I'm I'm sure there's a better one out there, but but this was just one that uh, uh jumped to mind. Oh well, actually, I'm gonna back up for a second. Can I choose a lightsaber sequence? in which one of the combatants does not use a lightsaber. Can it be like a lightsaber versus blaster sequence? I'm going to say yes, 
Yeah, I, I think so. We make the rules, yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> so in that case, I'm, I'm going to look back to the, the old Marvel Star Wars comics from the 70s and 80s. There was a great uh, cyborg bounty hunter named uh, uh, Volance, who was an incredible character. He was a he was a, a sort of a droid-hating bounty hunter who w- was a, ashamed of being a cyborg. But he, he kind of grows over the course of the comics and uh, ultimately uh, ends up uh, uh, siding with the, the rebels because he comes to believe that if the Rebel Alliance wins, it's going to be a, a better, you know, safer, happier, more accepting galaxy for cyborgs. And so there's this great sequence where uh, uh, Valance is pr- uh, protecting a rebel named Tyler Lucian, while, uh, who Darth Vader is trying to apprehend. I, I, if I remember correctly, it's because uh, Lucian knows that uh, Luke was the one uh, who uh, who destroyed the Death Star and Vader wants that information. But, but anyway, you get the most incredible fight between Vader and Valance, cyborg versus uh, cyborg. It's a real kind of knock down drag out brawl on this uh this lava planet and the one of the best moments and i'll never forget this is that uh, vader has mortally wounded valance but valance like grabs onto vader's ankle with his like cybernetically enhanced grip and then leaps toward the lava trying to pull vader with him and then like vader cuts off valance's hand so valance falls into the lava and so you're left with uh, uh, Vader with this, you know, now severed robotic hand still clinging to his boot. And it's just one of like the, the coolest, gnarliest uh, uh, things I've ever seen. And it's also like kind of a, a great, uh, you know, moment of redemption for this this bounty hunter character who started out being evil. And the cool thing is that the denouement to this scene is that the rebel Tyler Lucian Rather than, uh, you know, be captured and interrogated by Darth Vader, he kills himself by leaping into the lava, thus uh, preserving Luke's identity. So that that is a hell of an awesome lightsaber sequence. It's uh, I, I just I just love those those old Star Wars comics. They they told some great stories and they, they very much felt in the spirit of the, the original trilogy. And I highly recommend people go check them out because that that's some of the, the kind of uh, fun legend stuff that, that sometimes gets overlooked i think agreed i mean i when i think of star wars comics i think of mostly the dark horse stuff and which is the, wonderful as well marvel stuff oh yeah for sure um yeah i haven't read too much of the old marvel stuff i have some old floppies you know some old single issues um how would you go about reading those do you know if they're um super available yeah um th- they did some some newer omnibuses but the the editions that i really like they're they're a little old uh by now but they're, they're not too hard to find they they printed them in i think it was uh like seven really thick paperbacks that were all called uh star wars a long time ago so you have a long time ago uh volume one two three four five six seven uh, i think there uh you have uh, the i think it's uh the titles of each volume it's it's doom world uh dark encounters etc yeah, one was called Screams in the Void. That Screams in the Void is the is the best volume. Screams in the Void and Dark Encounters, I, I think, are the ones that are really worth checking out. I'll have to check that out. I haven't read those in years. I, I was a little turned off from the art because it's so, like, 70s comic 
style. Well, you yeah, know? I mean, some of that yeah, art, especially no, like in the that. the New Hope adaptation that begins the whole thing. So some of that is pretty pretty shaky. I mean, I mean, at the beginning they they made Darth Vader just look horrible. Like he was a he was like a big dark <laughs> blob with like cherries for eyes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I'm going with nostalgia on this one. Um, my best non-trilogy lightsaber sequence was the first time I played as post-Return of the Jedi or Return of the Jedi era Luke Skywalker in the PlayStation 1 game, Knights of the Terracasi. Ooh. So I would have been about maybe 11 or 12 years old, and I remember playing a demo of it. And in the demo, you could play Luke and I want to say Boba Fett. And it was the most incredible thing. Like, oh, my God, I can be these characters. Um, and I had played, you know, like the Super Nintendo Super Star Wars games before. But this was something else. It felt like, like, oh, my God, I really am this character. And then the post, the postscript to this is the game ended up not being very good. It just looked really cool, <laughs> uh, which I think is, is pretty much the story of most Star Wars things. <laughs> years later i love them as a kid not sure i feel the same way now but um i'd like to get my hands on that game again to make sure it's as bad as i think it is supposed to be so if it if your post return of the jedi luke like like who are you fighting like a like kind of like stormtroopers still trying to uphold the empire or like other dark jedi or I mean, it was basically like, um, like a, I don't know, like Soul Calibur kind of game where you're just playing everybody and it doesn't always have to make sense. <laughs> it took place during the original trilogy at some point. Oh, cool. Because Darth Vader has um, assigned somebody named Arden Lin to basically kill key members of the Rebel Alliance. There's kind of a tiny shout out to the Terracasi in the Solo movie, which when I heard it, I was like, wait, what? So I, I like that... Um, that there's some fan service as dumb and as much as I, I dislike it at times. I, I think that it's kind of cool to fold in some of the old, uh, the old games and books and lore into the new stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think that stuff's great. I mean, I think it would just be foolish to say, you know, Oh, that, that old, you know, expanded universe stuff, you know, we're not going to deal with that anymore. I mean, there's just a rich, uh, treasure trove to, to draw from. I think, you know, the fact that Grand Admiral Thrawn is you know, waiting in the wings is really positive. I mean, if we can just get Mara Jade in the mix, then then I think I can die happy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's only a matter of time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because because, you know, you know that if that happened, people will freak out and Disney Plus subscriptions would, you know, go through the roof. <laughs> yep. All in due time. I and mean, what do we have, like, 35 new shows coming out by next year? Oh, my God. <laughs> that few? <laughs> Did you... We didn't talk about the best Star Wars action scene without lightsabers yet. And I have two. And I think my number one, I'm going to go with it, is the scene where the Millennium Falcon outruns the TIE Fighters through the asteroid field in Empire Strikes Back. Ooh, I like it. I like it. I think it's like classic. I think it's a really cool scene. And I like that the good guys don't have to shoot back to win. It's all about Han's cunning and his captain skills that get them out of this jam. Well, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a great choice. And I, I love the I love the moment right before that scene where uh, the, Han and Chewie are doing repairs in, in the back. And uh, that wasn't a laser blast. Something hit us. And and 
it's just such a fun scene. So good. Uh, my favorite, though, is the Battle of Yavin. I think the trench run is just an all-timer. You know, I have a theory that, mo that most of the best action sequences all take place along straight lines or a series of straight lines because I feel like uh -huh. when you kind of like funnel the action like like through a tight space, it just you know brings a, a certain level of tension and clarity that I, I think can be really cool. And it's just uh, it's just such a, a a thrilling scene. You know, seeing the X wings go make the trench run and you know seeing the trench run twice, so we're kind of like aware of the different obstacles and. It's it's really scary seeing you know, Vader and his lackeys pick them off uh, one by one. R.I.P. Biggs and, and and Jack Porkins, and it just all comes down to this one kind of a uh, insane series of events that makes possible Luke's uh, victory. Both Obi Wan, you know, giving him the strength to do what needs to be done, and then Han coming back. And I, I feel like you know one thing that Star Wars does perhaps better than any other film series is setting up moments in the heat of an action where a, a character makes a, a momentous choice that, that changes everything. And and Han deciding to come back is just a a prime example of that. And, you know, Yahoo! It's it's just it's it's just such a you know delightful, you know, joyous, exhilarating, crowd pleasing scene. And it, it it's amazing, you know, too, with the limited resources George Lucas had back then you know he he did something that i feel like uh really uh really stands the, the the test of time you know as 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 rudimentary as the effects might look in some respects now they still look a hell of a lot better than most of what you see today yeah i look at like even like we were watching the spider-man trilogy for your podcast and i look at a lot of the cgi scenes in that and they just look dated they look like they're old you know, PlayStation One era graphics. Yes, they don't look realistic. Whereas I think Star Wars holds up. I was gonna say, um, I think that whole sequence sort of reminds me of like the the murder sequence of the shower scene in in Psycho, mm. in that it's so meticulous, and I feel like I watched it and studied it so much, and every shot has a reason for existing, uh, and you can overanalyze the hell out of it. But I mean, especially with that trench scene. Uh, all the shots establishing where everybody is at, the close-ups, the sound design, everything about it is is incredible filmmaking. I think so too, and I really appreciate that George Lucas is is very kind of respectful of the the, the passage of of time. Like, I I, I mean, one of a, a big thing that irritates me in the Force Awakens, and and I apologize to our listeners if I've talked about this in the podcast before, but. But during the climax, uh, you know, one of the uh, resistance fighters says to Leia, you know, General, their weapon will fire in two minutes. And then it's like, like what feels like 15 or 20 minutes later and Starkiller base still hasn't fired. Where is, uh, you know, the, 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 the countdown uh, during the Battle of Yavin actually makes sense and feels, uh, you know, well thought out. And it all builds up so well to that moment, you know, when you hear that voice. The Death Star is cleared to fire. The Death Star is cleared to fire. And I like how they, they you hear that just before Luke gets to the exhaust port. So, you know, they kind of stretch time a little bit, but they don't do it too much. They do it just enough to, um, uh, you know, make you feel like, holy shit, he's not there yet. And the Death Star is cleared to fire. It's just, 
It's so good. No, I like it because it's not a finite thing. In a movie, if they're like, we have 30 seconds to get out of here. In my mind, in real life, I'm thinking, okay, it's already been 25 seconds. <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, whereas uh, the death starts clearing to fire. Like, it's any second now, but I'm not counting down the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great example of, uh, you know, kind of acknowledging that movies allow you to play with time, but but not but not abusing that power, I guess. Yes, with great power comes great responsibility with time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, we're all out of it. Oh, oh, how was that for a transition? Oh, can I say one more thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, A no, very, very honorable mention to the the speeder bike chase in the Return of the Jedi, which which never fails to get me pumped. Oh, God, one of the best. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, and also, I'll say, in my initial... Uh, thinking out of action scenes in Star Wars, I actually consider the pod racing sequence too. Because mm. on its own, it's it's a pretty cool. I love the the POV shots. Uh, I love that you're in the action. I love, like we've talked about, that you can tell where everything is at and how much time has really passed. It's a really well-made sequence. And uh, if you haven't listened to our episode one episode, uh, Ben talks about it in depth quite a bit. I do. And... I, I think that if you just showed someone the pod race and the, the final Darth Maul duel, I think that based on those scenes isolated from the rest of the movie, like someone would assume, wow, this movie must be a masterpiece because <laughs> <laughs> you see those scenes and it's like you get no, well, I guess you see Jar Jar at the pod race, but but still you don't get like a, a, a full portrait of, of Jar Jar at peak Jar Jar-ness. <laughs> Anything else you want to add about all this uh, lightsaber madness? I think one thing I, I do want to put out there is that, I mean, there's there's a reason that we're, we're talking about lightsaber battles and, and action in, in Star Wars in general for, for May the 4th, because uh, action, I think, is so central to, you know, why we love Star Wars and not in a, I think, in a kind of, Oh, it's so fun to watch shit blow up kind of way. Although it is. I mean, the uh, the first Death Star especially blows up real good. But, I mean, more to the point, I mean, the, the excitement, the the tension, you know, the, the thrill of, of watching, you know, the tide turn for our heroes when all hope seems lost. I mean, I mean there's just, I think, like kind of a real magic to these scenes we're, we're talking about. And I'm excited to watch them all again. As am I. Absolutely. I think that so many people can dismiss Star Wars as dumb action. And the thing is, is yeah, on the surface level, it is, you know, an action movie or a science fiction or science fantasy or whatever camp you fall into there. But uh, there's so much more. And I think that, um, like you said, uh, what did you say? You said action. No, action is character, right? Yeah. And I think that's so telling uh, in the good Star Wars movies, quote unquote, uh, the action is completely justified and it reveals something about the characters. And I think only the best action movies can do that. I think it's so true. And, uh, you know, as much as I do love some of the action in, in the prequels, I, I thought it was kind of, of telling that, the, you know, when we were talking about the Phantom Menace, I, I felt like we were talking in more technical terms. And all of a sudden, when we start talking about the original trilogy and even the sequel trilogy, frankly, and, and the action, suddenly we were talking a more narrative terms. And that's, I think, because, you know, uh, certainly as is the case with with Empire, 
uh, in the New Hope and Jedi. You know, there's that kind of like perfect marriage of of action and emotion where the story is being told told, but you're also getting like a like a pure physical thrill. The, the two things are kind of woven together to, to make like a, a perfect, you know, beautiful package. Speaking of beautiful packages. <laughs> okay. I, I couldn't twist that into anything. Uh, I have nothing else to add. I think that's it for us. I think so. Uh, finally, we're on Twitter. You can find us at Bespin Ice. Also a great idea for a Star Wars alcoholic beverage. If I've ever heard of one. Bespin Ice. <laughs> Crack open a cool Bespin ice on Cloud City. <laughs> are, are you picturing oh, like those, uh, like like ice machines on Cloud City? You know, or those like <laughs> like coolers where you can get like bags of ice? You know, hundred percent picturing a Natty Ice commercial and Lando Calrissian himself is selling it to me. <laughs> I think Billy D. Williams can pull it off. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'll say your May the Fourth homework is to Google Colt Forty Five. Billy D. Williams. If you haven't <laughs> seen it yet, you're welcome. And you can also get in touch with us by email, bespinicecreampod at gmail.com. Feel free to ask us any questions, any concerns, anything you'd like to see moving forward. You can find me on Twitter at IamJoshO85. Ben can be found on Twitter at THOBinnett with two N's and two T's, as well as THOMovieReviews.wordpress.com. Have a great week, and May the 4th. And may the force be with you. I can't believe I said may the force be with you. <laughs> I refuse I, to I, give I, it. It kind of worked. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs>